Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Chuck Baldwin ranks his 10 worst presidents. A lot of people know what I think about it, so I'm going to tell you on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me that email address while you're there. I'll give you a free ebook, free, free audio book, the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by clicking on that little super thanks button under the YouTube video if you're watching there or click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Let people know you love the show. Comment on YouTube. That helps the algorithm. And as always, send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. And more ears and eyes on the show is great. Now, this is actually a listener-generated episode today because I'm going to be talking about a Chuck Baldwin piece at LearRockwell.com. Chuck Baldwin is an interesting fellow. He uh, actually ran for uh, president on the Constitution Party several years ago. And uh, he's been a pretty prominent uh, host, talk show, radio host, for quite a long time now. I've known, uh, known of Chuck Baldwin for over 20 years. In fact, when I lived in, in Pensacola, Florida for a time, he was the pastor of the church. It was just down the road from where I was living. And so at that time, there was a lot of discussion about Chuck Baldwin. He was kind of seen as a, you know, a paleoconservative. He was bucking the trend. He had an independent church. He was bucking the trend of you know, left-leaning churches at that point. So he's been a pretty prominent, uh, real conservative voice for a couple of decades. And of course, he became much more popular after he decided to, uh, to run for president on the Constitution Party. But um, he still has a pretty loud voice for, uh, for real conservatism in America. And he's put out a list of his 10 worst presidents. Now, about a year ago, I did a couple of videos on YouTube where I did the top five and and uh, you know top five best and top five worst presidents. My list is not much different from Chuck Baldwin's. Uh, the presidents are, are moved around a little bit, but you can go out and watch those on YouTube if you want to. Uh, they're about 10 minutes long. So, I mean, they're, they're really short. Of course, I also wrote about this in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America and Four Who Tried to Save Her. There's actually 13 presidents in that book that are really bad. And there are four that I think are pretty good. So not five, but four. So you get that book. It's uh, one of my best-selling books ever. Also, the Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution really lays this out for you. So I've done these kind of things before where I've talked about bad and good presidents what does it actually mean? Um, what you won't find on this list, of course, my list or his list is Jimmy Carter. I know that there was an exchange 
between myself and uh, Razor Fist. And I, look, I love Razor Fist's passion. I think it's great to have him out there on Twitter. He uses Twitter the way it should be used. He just gives it back to people. And he doesn't. He didn't agree with what I've had to say about Jimmy Carter, and that's okay. Uh, Jimmy Carter, to me, is a, a, a quintessential Southern gentleman. I know that, uh, that uh, Razor Fist doesn't agree with that. I think that he does some things there that are a little... Um, he's attaching some things to Carter that shouldn't be, right? It's, it's a little illogical. But that's okay. I mean, I know that a lot of people don't like Jimmy Carter. And of course, the the balance of his presidency um, is questionable. I mean, what did Carter do that was great? What did he do is good? I think, uh, as, as Kevin Gutzman said, he's the president that has the least amount of, of strikes against him for impeachment in the last, say, 40 or 50 years. So, I mean, look, Carter wasn't as bad as everyone makes him out to be. And he's not on these lists, these 10 worst. Jimmy Carter's not there. And, of course, um, he's not on my 10 worst or 5 worst either. As I said, I think this is a conservative hot take that Joe Biden's the worst president since Jimmy Carter. This is just something that people don't get. And as I, as you talk to individuals, you know, around, as they, as they bring up presidents, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. They know that I wrote a book on presidents. Well, is Jimmy Carter your worst? I mean, this is what I get from from conservatives oftentimes because I think they're just kind of told that, right? We had Ronald Reagan win in 1980 in a crushing landslide victory, which I'm going to talk about this week because, again, this kind of like it's referring back to this issue of was Jimmy Carter really that bad? So Reagan wins in a landslide, and one of the reasons was, of course, the Iranian hostage crisis, which Carter had the deck stacked against him, and I'll talk about that later this week. But let's get into these 10 worst presidents, according to Chuck Baldwin. And, um, again, I, I like the list. Um, I could I could flip some of these around, and I do. Uh, but and I, look, when you get to these top five worst, you could really put any of these people in any order. I mean, it, it if you could say that any of the top five on my list. Now, here are my top five worst, and I and I have this, of course, on uh, YouTube. But my top five worst are Harry Truman, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Woodrow Wilson, Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt. Now, generally. Uh, four of those individuals are ranked near the top of any presidential rankings. Uh, Johnson is not usually, but uh, all the others are. Truman, FDR, Wilson, and Lincoln. <clears throat> They're always near the top. And that's because, as I've said in other places, presidential historians like to rank presidents for the amount of power that they had, not if they follow their oath of office, which is how we should rank the presidents. So I actually uh, you know, commend Chuck Baldwin for having a contrarian list here from the establishment mainstream historians. Now, of course, people would say, well, Chuck Baldwin's not a historian, so uh, we shouldn't listen to Chuck Baldwin. But I think, you know, he does a pretty good job of explaining why these people should be on this list. So uh, let me go ahead and read through this. I'm not going to read it all because it would take me too much time to do this. He's got actually 11 people on this list. And again, I wouldn't disagree with most of this. I think we could have added some other people in here. But uh, and I do. And nine presidents is good of America. You really want to get a real contrarian look? I mean, I've got George Washington and Andrew Jackson on that list, uh, which people don't like. Uh, that was the area that, that people really got upset about when I would go on radio shows promoting the book. Uh, now looking at about seven years ago when that book came out, uh, the conservatives would get very upset that I would have Washington, Jackson, and Lincoln on the list. But they were. In fact, Chuck Baldwin starts with uh, with Abraham Lincoln. That's his number one worst. And he says, without, a, without an ounce of doubt in my mind, Abraham Lincoln is America's absolute worst president. He did not free a single slave, 
But what he did do was begin the process of enslaving free men. It's no hyperbole to say that Lincoln truly governed as a dictator, not as a president. Now, this is where a lot of people are just going to, on, on the establishment side, are just going to roll their eyes and, and go into a fit of rage about this. How can you say that about Abraham Lincoln? He wasn't a dictator, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, this goes back to that, I mentioned Razor Fist. He had a, a video that a lot of people got very upset about where he just blasted Abraham Lincoln. It was beautiful. It was a great video. Um, and we've done, I mean, look, I've done that. You know, Tom DiDorenzo has done this. A lot of people have done this with Lincoln and called him out for what he really was. And that was a thug, essentially, in, in the White House. Um, he was shredding the Constitution during his time as president. I could, I could make a very good case. This is Chuck Baldwin does. Lincoln is the worst. I mean, you can make that case. Lincoln is the pivot. Lincoln is the point where uh, the, in, the old republic falls apart, the old federal republic, and is replaced with a national, consolidated, single, unitarian republic. I mean, it's, it's what we get, right? And this is what's happening. I've talked about this quite a lot on this podcast recently, how both the left and the right are starting to look at 18, the 1860s as the refounding of America. I mean, Eric Foner has come out and said it, and now you've got people like Randy Barnett saying this very same thing. This is why I've said before that the Straussians, if they're going to show a whole lot of love for Abraham Lincoln, they're going to lose. They have to lose because Lincoln cannot be the conservative president you think he is. Not with all the things that he did to abuse power and, of course, revolutionize America. This is what Gary Wills said with the Gettysburg Address. I've used that quote over and over. Lincoln revolutionized the revolution. It wasn't a revolution in 1775-1776. It was a secession. But now, it's a revolution. Now, it doesn't mean that the founding generation didn't call it a revolution. In their mind, what they were doing is getting rid of a monarchy and replacing it with you know, a republican form of government, no king. So that way it was revolutionary, right? We're not going to have a king any longer. That's the way they looked at it as revolutionary. But other than that, there wasn't really a wholesale change in America in terms of um, you know, the, the social status, the structure, any of that. It stayed exactly the same. They already had legislatures, so it just stayed in place. I mean, they didn't, they didn't change, radically change really anything in America in, uh, in the 1770s during this American War for Independence. So it, was, it really wasn't a revolutionary revolution, as you would say in, in France, but it was a secession movement. So Lincoln makes it revolutionary, though, and that is the difference. This is when I talked about Jamel Bowie and his point, you know, so what? We have Ron DeSantis talking about we need, to, we need to talk about the Declaration. And Bowie's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the Declaration because my version of the Declaration is going to be uh, more influential than your version of the Declaration. And in fact, he, they d disagree only on shades. So if we're going to use the Declaration as the basis of the United States, as, of course, the Straussians do, as all these people do, if we're going to use it as the basis of the United States, not the last paragraph, but the second paragraph, and we're in trouble on the right. Because all that does is create perpetual revolution. This is something the conservatives talked about with that document for years. It's, it's a real problem. And, and I'm going to talk about this Kermit Roosevelt book that I mentioned when I, when I uh, did the podcast on Jamel Bowie's position on the founding and the declaration. It's a really interesting book. And I think it, it, just, it should put a nail in the coffin, the final nail in the coffin of West Coast Straussianism. 
because I think Roosevelt makes the case that, look, uh, you cannot, you cannot uh, promote the founding, the real founding, and uh, promote Lincoln at the same time. You can't. So I'll get into that later. But anyways, I digress. Uh, Baldwin says virtually every single problem we are having today with an overbearing, encroaching, authoritarian federal government in Washington, D.C. came as a result of Abraham Lincoln's presidency. Every single one, he says. Abraham Lincoln destroyed the Washingtonian-Jefferson model of American government, replaced it with an imperial White House. His own statements proved that he cared absolutely nothing for the black race and was indeed himself a racist, unlike many leaders of the Confederacy, such as Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, etc., who publicly and adamantly spoke in support of the end of slavery and never said anything remotely derogatory or racist against black people. Now, um, uh, one thing, you know, again, the Washington model... Uh, I would say Washington, Lincoln did take a page from Washington in the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, that's The Jeffersonian model would be more accurate, not the Washington model. And this is something that Forrest McDonald points out with uh, his, his little book on George Washington as a president. Uh, McDonald loved Washington and Lincoln. He really didn't like Jefferson. But he's very, very uh, you know, clear that Washington's precedents really didn't stick. It would be more Jefferson's. And that's something we need to understand with that. Beyond that, in his first inaugural address, Lincoln actually supported an amendment to the U.S. Constitution proposed by Ohio Congressman Thomas Corwin. That said, and of course this is the amendment that would have made slavery permanent in the United States, at least in the states where it already existed, that the federal government could not interfere with slavery in the states where it already existed. Now, of course, Southerners said, okay, yeah, so what? We already know this. The real issue is the Western territories, not the states. Uh, this wasn't even an issue. No one thought that any the federal government could really go in and abolish slavery in the states. Now, Calhoun had said that they could in the 1830s. Why not? You pass all kinds of unconstitutional legislation. What's the difference there? But generally, Congress didn't think they had any control over slavery in the states. That's why we got the 13th, the real 13th Amendment, the ultimate 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery in the states because that's the only way you could do it. The Congress couldn't do it. In other words, an amendment would have forever guaranteed the right of people to own slaves in the states where it existed. I mean, so the, the real issue was the Western territories, which is why Southerners weren't buying this particular amendment. They said, that's, this is a constitutional crisis. We know you can't do this, but what about the territories? That was the issue. The common property of the United States. Why does one section deny to the other section uh, what you would have for yourself? You see, that was the issue. Lincoln violated every constitutional restraint on the office of the president possible. He used the Union Army to invade independent sovereign states, and he invaded the state legislature in, uh, I'm sorry, invaded, yes, the state legislature in Maryland, kidnapping and incarcerating the legislators to prevent them from voting on secession. He used force to bully and intimidate other state legislatures in the North to keep them from supporting Southern independence. He authorized Union forces to hunt down and kill or imprison copperheads, while Lincoln forced black men from the North to serve in the Union Army in segregated units. Southern blacks were fighting voluntarily side by side with the white men in the same units as the white men. And what most history books fail to mention is that there were reportedly over 300,000 slave owners fighting in Lincoln's army during the Civil War. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there, to say that, and I've said this before, you have two slaveholding republics fighting in the, in the United States War for Southern Independence. Two slaveholding republics. You had many slave owners 
fighting for the North that didn't really think the war was about ending slavery. They thought it was about saving the Union. So, and you had Southerners that weren't fighting for slaves. Some of the, look, some of the history here, it needs a little bit more nuance to it. I'll say that. But otherwise, I mean, I agree with what, what uh, Baldwin is saying here. I mean, Lincoln was doing some things as president that were violating his oath of office. Uh, he certainly should be ranked very high on any list that uh, has the five worst presidents according to their oath of office. I have no problem with Lincoln being number one. You could say it's the pivot, it's the turning point in American history, and I think putting him there as that particular person is not a bad idea. Number two would be Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Wilson uh, took Lincoln's vision of subjugated states to a global level. In one year, Wilson did more to destroy whatever vestiges of a free republic that were left after Lincoln's administration than any president since. That year was 1913. It was a year that should live in infamy. Woodrow Wilson saddled the American people with the following. In February of 1913, the 16th Amendment was ratified. And the direct income tax and IRS were in, uh, instituted. This is a flagrant re, uh, repudiation of freedom principles. What began as a temporary measure to support the war of northern aggression became a permanent income revenue stream for an unconstitutional and ever-growing central government. Now, it's a saddle that say that Wilson was the 16th Amendment. You can, you can say all kinds of stuff that were worse than this with Woodrow Wilson. Uh, not the 16th Amendment. I mean, the 16th Amendment was already in process before Wilson uh, became became president. Uh, that was already there. Uh, so that wasn't Wilson's Wilson's bad, right? That wasn't that wasn't his fault. Same thing with the 17th Amendment, right? This was already this was already in process. What you can blame Wilson for, of course, is later down the list when you get the Federal Reserve. Yes, Wilson should be held responsible for the Federal Reserve. What you can also blame Wilson for is World War I. I mean, that's one of the worst things. World War I. There's many other things we could say about Wilson. I think that Baldwin misses the mark here in Wilson. You can put Wilson near the top. In fact, a lot of people would say he's the worst. For Wilsonianism, which is this international uh, United States police force. Now, you could go back to Teddy Roosevelt, who I also think could have made it, this, made it on this list, but he doesn't. Uh, Roosevelt should be in the top 10 worst. Um, and in fact, what Baldwin does at the end of this list is have a whole bunch of modern presidents. You can just smash all those people together in one presidency. You can do that because they're all basically the same. They're all just building on the unconstitutional powers of their predecessor. And that really begins in earnest with uh, George H.W. Bush, who, uh, who Baldwin has in here. You could even make an argument for Reagan. Reagan's not on this list, but you could make an argument that Reagan should be in a top 10 list, top 10 worst. I mean, it's, it's possible. So he has, of course, the 17th Amendment, the 16th Amendment. Those, you can't really put those at the feet of Woodrow Wilson, but you can put the Federal Reserve Act there. The Federal Reserve Act, of course, which creates the Fed, which we're seeing now has so much control over the U.S. economy. It's a central banking system, unconstitutional central banking system. It is a problem. And I talked about banks on a previous podcast so you should go out and listen to that. But I think you can put that there. But he should have talked about World War I as being the real point of departure for American foreign policy in a way that's going to, going to dominate the way the United States moves forward, uh, not just in, in, you know, in foreign affairs, but also in domestic affairs because of all the unconstitutional things that are created because of World War I. I mean, good gosh, you had the nationalization of the railroads, 
right? All these programs that were set up to fight the war, all the heavy-handed federal intervention to fight the war, and most of that stuff stuck around or was repackaged during the New Deal. So that's the kind of things you should be blasting Woodrow Wilson for, not two things that he really didn't have much of a role in doing. You can, you can point to those, the 16th and 17th Amendment as being bad, but Wilson wasn't the reason that we had either one of those. Number three, FDR. Um, Baldwin says he was America's first socialist president. His New Deal was actually a raw deal. He was the president that did the yeoman's share of work in preparing the United States to reject independence and embrace socialism. Um, so, I mean, look, the New Deal is really bad, uh, but it, it, you could say that it's just repackaged off of what uh, was going on during the Wilson administration. Or you could actually say this is Herbert Hoover. Right? Herbert Hoover came up with the New Deal, and Roosevelt just put it into effect. Herbert Hoover was the one who wanted to shut down the banks and create bank holidays and do all kinds of heavy-handed things with the banks in 1933, 32, 33. This is where uh, Roosevelt you know, knew it and put the note in his pocket and said, I'm going to wait on this till I get into office, essentially. So, look, Franklin Roosevelt is awful. In fact, in my list, he's number one. Now, again, I said you could use this interchangeably. Right. But the New Deal and then American involvement in World War II, we've never come off a wartime footing. Roosevelt put all that stuff in place. And we measure so many things today off of Franklin Roosevelt. The first hundred days, uh, the activity of the president, waging a war on some domestic problem. I mean, this, is, this all goes back to Franklin Roosevelt, creating, I mean, creating czars, doing all these kind of things. All this stuff is Roosevelt. So Roosevelt is the measure by which all future presidents... Uh, should be weighed. I mean, this is this is how we do it, and so this this is when when we're looking at a presidency, everyone goes back to Roosevelt, not Wilson, not Lincoln. They go back to Roosevelt. Now, there's always talk we need to act more like Lincoln. That would be a disaster. But uh, to go back to Roosevelt, uh, when you look at again the modern presidency, the modern imperial presidency, this is where it begins. Not really with Wilson, but with, with uh, FDR. He's got Johnson, LBJ as four. And again, I don't have a problem with LBJ being in a top five. He should be. Um, he should be in a top five. Uh, LBJ uh, with the guns and butter policies, the Great Society, and of course, Vietnam. Uh, but of course, why do we have the Cold War to begin with? Well, FDR, right? <laughs> Johnson, again, is a byproduct of FDR. This is why you have to put Roosevelt if you've got all these bad presidents that follow. And there's many of them. There really isn't a reprieve after Franklin Roosevelt and anyone that's really that good. I mean, you could say maybe Eisenhower. Uh, but Eisenhower did some things that you could question too. But, I mean, look, Roosevelt is, is the reason we have all that stuff. He's the reason we have it all, right? So this is why Roosevelt should be near the top, if not the top. Uh, Wilson is really bad, but Wilson, there's a reprieve from Wilson. You get Warren Harding, you get Calvin Coolidge. There was a, there was a pushback the other way. And then, of course, those guys produce Herbert Hoover. Uh, but without Franklin Roosevelt, all the stuff that happens afterwards can't happen. Roosevelt's the one that puts all that into effect. So LBJ is really bad, um, and he recommends uh, a book, Remember the Liberty, uh, which was, of course, where the... Um, uh, he uh, uh, Johnson and uh, Robert McNamara, and he talks about this, let the uh, U.S. government uh, sink the USS Liberty. Um, so, I mean, th that happened, right? 
But uh, there's also other things that he talks about, you know, the Gun Control Act of 1968, and of course all the great society programs. He doesn't really mention the Vietnam War, which of course was really awful. That was uh, an unnecessary war. There were people that talked about this, but Vietnam did a lot to damage American psyche and of course created, helped create the counterculture movement, all kinds of things. You can make a case that Johnson should be number one for all the damage that he's done in the last 50 years. All these things, I mean, the boomer generation, how all that, uh, you know, how they, how they navigated the Vietnam era and how that led to what their policies are today. I mean, it's just awful, right? Johnson's terrible. Now, number five, he's got George W. Bush. Again, um, he says that uh, George W. Bush gave us a burgeoning police state. So while Lincoln gave us the imperial presidency, um, I mean, you can make that case. Um, I think he gave a, he just followed the blueprint of Washington and Jackson, and Lincoln is awful. Um, uh, he provided the blueprint. I don't think you can say the imperial presidency was there before FDR. But anyways, uh, he says, you know, Lincoln gave the imperial presidency, Wilson gave us globalism, FDR gave us socialism, LBJ gave us welfareism, gun control, and cowardly churches, and G.W. Bush gave us the police state. So, I mean, he talks about the Patriot Act, which of course is... Uh, a bad piece of legislation. He gave us the war on terror. All those things. Uh, and uh, George W. Bush should be ranked. He gave us the TARP. I mean, all the unconstitutional spending programs. But George W. Bush was a symptom of the disease. There's no George W. Bush without FDR. There's no George W. Bush without FDR. But he is uh, the embodiment of neoconservatism and uh, this establishment republicanism. But again, that's just basically based on stuff that the Republicans were doing in the 1860s. So you could go back to Lincoln, too, and say that's also where you get the modern Republican Party from. I've made the case on this podcast that there's really no difference between the modern Republican Party and the Republican Party of the 1860s. It's almost the same party. Barack Obama's number six. Again, you could put Obama together with Bush doing the unconstitutional things that Bush did, just carry him a little further. Bill Clinton's number seven. Again, he should be tied in with George W. Bush. And George H.W. Bush is number eight. Now, all, all those presidents, five, six, seven, eight, should all be mashed into one presidency, really. And he's got Joe Biden as number 10, tied with Richard Nixon. Biden should also be in with all these other presidents. So that should be five of them together. Now, what he does is put Harry Truman as nine. Truman should be in the top five. Truman was really bad. Truman, of course, the Korean War is, is an awful American intervention, uh, that's a byproduct of the Cold War. But also, he talks about the use of nuclear weapons, which was bad. But Truman was the guy that essentially kept us on a wartime footing after World War II is over, just by repackaging these federal programs that FDR had created and keeping them in effect. Uh, he nationalized the steel industry. Truman did all kinds of horrible things. He calls him the first Zionist president for his, uh, for his embrace of Israel. And, of course, the old story is, you know, why did Truman do that? Because, well... Jewish Americans vote, and I'm going to capture that vote for the Democrats. And so it worked. I mean, Jewish Americans tend to vote in larger numbers for Democrats, even to this day, because of Harry Truman. So he's playing politics in that way. And it worked. I mean, he, you've got a block of people that are going to continue to vote for Democrats. And so that was a, a savvy political move. Now, whether that's in the best interest of, the, of Jewish Americans is always a question, uh, but when you're looking at foreign policy and American interaction with Israel, this is a, a big issue even to this day. And if you dare say anything against that, maybe the United States shouldn't be as in line with Israel, well, then you're called all kinds of names. 
uh, because of influence in government. So uh, that's uh, it's not anti-Semitic to say that. You're just asking questions about, well, what is the best interest of the United States overall in foreign policy? Uh, but that's uh, but Truman, of course, went out and, and did this uh, to get votes, essentially. And then he's got Richard Nixon and Joe Biden tied for 10th. Again, Richard Nixon should be in there. I, he's in my book, and I'm president who screwed up America. Um, I would say, you know, he's in the top 10 as well. He's in my top nine. Uh, I mean, he's, he's bad. Of course, you could also put Teddy Roosevelt in this list. So Nixon, uh, now Nixon was doing all kinds of horrible things as president. Uh, if you look at some of the social programs that we've get, you've gotten, you know, like affirmative action, uh, things like that, the environmental mo- environmentalist movement. Nixon was trying to outleft the left at one point, and he, I mean, his his administration was complaining why the left kept attacking him when he was doing things that they would like. Well, of course they're going to. And then, then you have Nixon and the Watergate scandal, and uh, how much of that was actually a scandal, or was that a CIA op, and all these things. This is these are there's questions about that, but uh, Nixon certainly with his uh, with his moves domestically, should be in the top nine worst. Now, Pat Buchanan is going to defend Richard Nixon to the day he dies. He would say that Nixon really wasn't that bad. Um, again, that's it's debatable. I would say Nixon is one of the nine worst, but he's really more of a symptom of the disease as well, if you look at all these other presidents that I've talked about. The disease is the imperial presidency. You have to go back to George Washington and Washington's abuse of powers in one very important instance, and that was the Whiskey Rebellion. The other, of course, was signing Hamilton's unconstitutional bank into law and also his very bad legislation that he proposed. That was awful stuff. Washington did set the stage by marching into Pennsylvania against the advice of the governor of the, of the state and, a, and the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And the Attorney General of the United States. He listened to Hamilton far too much. That was Washington's problem. Uh, so Washington sets the stage for that. And of course, Jackson uh, would then uh, do this with the nullification controversy. He just, I mean, he favored the force bill. He was going to march the army into South Carolina if they didn't, uh, didn't comply with his wishes. Jackson was certainly uh, bad in that way too. And of course, the the veto of the bank bill was beautiful with Andrew Jackson, but then what he did after that, which was illegal in withdrawing U.S. deposits out of the bank, which of course caused a panic. So there's all kinds of things that Jackson could be pointed to as well, but this use, heavy-handed use of force against the state. Washington and Jackson were setting the stage for what Lincoln did in the 1860s. And uh, But Lincoln should be... The reason that we should not like Lincoln is because of Lincoln's revolutionizing the revolution, right? His distortion of the of the Declaration and what that actually meant and suppression of free government. This is important. So just in that way, you should say Lincoln should be in the top five. But then you really have to look at the 20th century for the presidents that, uh, that did things really, really, I mean, it's just awful. Uh, because after Lincoln, you have, a, you have a reprieve. You get a Grover Cleveland, for example. Uh, and then, you know, you, you have some people that aren't quite as bad. Uh, until you get to the late 19th and early 20th century, you could say William McKinley is the first modern president. And we know that the the Spanish-American War was uh, the first effort of American imperialism, at least in terms of war. But that was the Congress pushing that. McKinley wasn't necessarily as in favor of it. And he was a reconciliationist. I mean, McKinley wanted to bring the Union back together in a way that hadn't been done before. So there's some nice things to say about McKinley. Uh, but then Teddy Roosevelt really ramps things up. So... Um, I, I've got 
again, if you want to see my positions on these people, go out and watch those two little videos I did last year on the five worst and five best presidents, and then get my nine presidents who screwed up America. I go into all these things in a lot more detail. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. Mm -hmm.